Father in heaven, thank you for a new day. Uh, forgive us our sins, our foolishness. And forgive us our lack of fear as we reflect on yesterday, our lack of fear of you. Um, the way we esteem you too lightly. Uh, but we praise you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, that those our sins are many, your mercy is more. And so we come to you for mercy again. Mercy for forgiveness, but also mercy for transformation. Cleanse our minds, renew us, we pray. And help us to live as uh, shining stars in a, a crooked and depraved generation. Uh, bless us through the power of your spirit, in the grace of your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, first of all, I'm going to shut those doors. Okay, so we started this new series um, called Being the Bad Guys in a Strange New World. The, re- the reason it's called that, other than the fact that it's, I hope, reflective of what we're talking about, is that two books to mention. Um, one is called A Strange New World by Carl Truman, which is sh- I should have brought it. It's short, um, kind of paperback. It's a really good take on kind of how we've got to be where we are today. The other one's called Being the Bad Guys by a guy called Stephen McAlpine. Um, it's a much easier read, and it's more kind of how do we live in, um, well, how do we live in the current, uh, the current climate. So I've sort of robbed them off, and lots of what I'm going to speak about today and, and over the next week or two is indebted to Truman in particular. Um, big picture, one of the things we looked at last week um, is this idea that increasingly the culture, at some level at least, has become more hostile to the church. So we thought about the idea that up to... I mean, you know, finger in the wind, but up to, say, the 90s, there was sort of a rough positivity. To be a Christian was seen as a good thing, an honest thing. From the 90s through to about 20, 2010, 2014, um, being a Christian was neutral. Okay? It didn't advance your career, but it didn't necessarily harm it. And then nowadays, it is seen as a positively wicked thing to be a Christian. It's not just that you're a bit dumb to believe that someone could walk on walker and come back from the dead. It's that you're positively evil to agree with the kind of things that Jesus teaches. Um, A very obvious, most recent kind of fruit, if you like, thorn might be a better metaphor, is the whole kind of idea of transgenderism. How have we got to the place where someone could say, I feel like a woman, although I'm in a man's body, and for that to kind of make sense? And so what we're really doing is trying to think just for a few weeks about the world around us. In the same way, and I'm going to keep using the same metaphors, so hopefully it gets into your, your heads. In the same way as if we were in Mecca, we would think about Islam. If we were in Delhi, we'd think about Hinduism. Given that we are in Leeds, what roughly is the kind of prevailing culture uh, around us? And that, that specific question, what is the religion around us, is the one I want to think about uh, today. What would we call um, our religion? So down there on the sheets, number one, uh, what is our religion? And I want to pick up this phrase, expressive individualism. It's not my phrase. It comes from a guy called Robert Bella. He's an American kind of cultural analyst. Expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realised. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? So Truman's um, summary. In short, the modern self is one where authenticity is achieved in acting in accordance with one's inward feelings what is the the chief rule okay so we have in the westminster short academies don't we what's the chief end of man okay, your ultimate goal okay, you get up in the morning you've got a to-do list a hundred things long but there's one thing at the top that governs everything the chief end of man is to 
glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, I'm sure that's what you're all mumbling. Um, glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is, the, that is the ultimate principle. You live for God. What these guys are saying is that the ultimate principle of this new religion is you have to live in accordance with your inner feelings. So the, the most important thing is to be authentic. So if you feel something, it will be wrong to deny those urges, those desires, that, that way of thinking. You have to, well, you look inside and you live in accordance with whatever you feel. The greatest sin, therefore, obviously, is to go against those things or even worse, tell someone else they can't act in accordance with their feelings. And again, it's pretty, hopefully pretty obvious pretty quickly how sexuality stuff is a very direct application of that. There is nothing more um, not just kind of not just there's nothing we disagree with more but there's nothing more wicked than saying to someone you can't follow your heart okay, that, that is that is the ultimate uh, goal uh, with the children I've sometimes you know you don't talk about expressive individualism with six year olds um, sometimes just call it meism okay whatever I feel I do okay that's a sort of dumbed down version of it um, if you've got a better label for it for the kids then, then let me know but key is that point, we look inside for identity, not outside. Okay? I don't, when I want to know who I am, I don't go to my family, I don't go to my church, I don't look up to some God. I look inside and I find it within me and then I live it out. Uh, and that's a, that's a real change. So I put two, two, these two kind of modern thinkers, uh, both actually died now, but relatively modern. Um, Philip Reef. Um, he talks about there being kind of four ages of man. Now, he's not saying they're strictly chronological, um, but political man, think of kind of ancient Greece and the birth of democracy. He talks about political man, where they looked outside and found their identity and their purpose in the polis, in the city. We are here for the good of the city. You, you get the kind of Roman and um, Greek stories about people dying to save Rome on the bridge or whatever it may be. Um, religious man, they think kind of Middle Ages, um, the birth of the well, growth of the church. I look out and I find my identity from the church. Okay, my priest tells me that I am a good Roman Catholic or I'm a um, child of God. And that is my primary identity. Economic man, kind of industrial revolution, thinking in the West in particular. My purpose, my identity is I am a, I don't know, I'm a builder, I'm a bricklayer, I am a, and my, my purpose, my kind of identity is my, um, my career essentially. And now he says we live in the age of psychological man. I look inside. It, what really matters is my psychology. What's going inside my head, in my heart? All the first three, political man, religious man, economic man, they all look out to something. Politics, religion, work. But now it's look inside. And so if you take work as an example, um, if you ask someone today, and perhaps you're looking for a career, um, but you ask someone today, you know, what do you want to do? That then very often people who are looking for jobs think, well, I want something, that's, you know, I want something that satisfies, I want something that makes me happy. I want... Those are all really psychological terminology. You go back 100 years, what, what do you want to do when you leave school? Well, probably weren't even at school 100 years ago, but you know what I mean. Um, what, what do you want to do? Well, I want to provide for my family. I want to, and you're just going to do whatever your dad did, basically. Okay? There's, there's not that kind of inner looking for satisfaction in the job. What you're looking for is a job that pays the bills, provides food and shelter so I don't die. Um, yeah, different way of, of looking at things. So there's brief. Similar uh, idea 
we're doing a bit of a deep dive, but we're going to surface in a minute. Um, Charles Taylor is another cultural thinker. Neither of these guys are um, evangelical Christians. He talks about mimesis and poiesis. Um, mimesis said, before the, we had an understanding of the world where it, it had a fixed order, and I found out who I am and how I fit into it by looking at that fixed order and finding my place in it. But over the last however many years, we've switched, he calls it poiesis. I mould the world up to fit who I am. Um, so take the idea of a, a jigsaw. Um, you pick up a jigsaw piece and you look at a puzzle. There's two ways of doing it, aren't there? Um, you can say, look, um, h- how does this fit into the picture? I need to find the place in the picture that fits my piece. Or you can look at the picture and say, my piece is going there and I'm just going to mash it into the puddle. You see children doing that, don't you? I'm going to mash it into the puddle. And if it doesn't fit, I'll just bend the little bits back on the puzzle until my piece goes in. And that's the kind of culture we move to. I shouldn't have to change in any way. I should be able to be authentic, be myself. The world should change to, to fit around me and my desires. If I don't like the idea of someone coming to my university and doing a talk about Brexit, and that is going to psychologically damage me, then we will cancel it because I need to save space. The world changes, not me. You cannot say to me, for heaven's sake, grow up. I have to change. Oh, sorry, the world has to change. So it's kind of jigsaw, two ways of doing a jigsaw. And one of the things that's really helped that is, is science. So for a long time, there's nothing you can do about it. You, you were at the mercy of the world, weren't you? I mean, um, you're a farmer. It, if, you, if you're a farmer in the Lake District, you're not going to be growing um, arable crops. Okay, because the, the countryside just won't let you do it. Nowadays, potentially, you could find a little bit of flat land, build a warehouse, put a load of kind of um, clever heating systems in and grow kind of cabbages stacked up in five layers or whatever. Um, it feels like we've got more control of the world. Same with our bodies. Okay, hundred years ago, you can say you're a man trapped in a woman's body and all right, put on a dress if you like. That's about it. But you, you, nowadays, well, nowadays it feels like you can do something about it. You can go and have surgery and, and all the rest. Um, two examples of this. Like one's just, I think, one I just find quite funny. Um, the other one I think is, is quite sort of insightful. Um, Roger Scruton um, talks about dancing. So what would you say? Okay, you get, so tomorrow, you go home, the post arrives tomorrow morning. Um, there's an invitation to Charles's coronation, King Charles' coronation. Uh, and it says, um, you know, for, for the first dance, you'll be dancing with Prince William, if you go, you know, um, Kate. Um, and you'll be doing a foxtrot. Okay, what's the first thing you would think? Most of us would think, what the heck's a foxtrot and how do I do it? Okay? I, I don't know how to do a foxtrot. Okay? And so you, you, you'd get on YouTube and you'd Google how do you do a foxtrot and you'd find a book and you'd go for some lessons. and you know. um, That's kind of a picture of traditional society. There are the, there are the rules. You know, I need to work out how to fit in. That's what dancing was like, isn't it? You know, classical, so ballroom dancing strictly or country dancing or Scottish dancing. Well, that's it. There's a bunch of rules and patterns. You fit into it. Go to a nightclub. Okay, no one Googles how to dance. Well, maybe they do down to Google how to dance at night, but there aren't any rules, are there? Okay, it, it, uh, <laughs> the one man he might have been in the nightclub with me. <laughs> yeah, you just watch your friend, see how he does it, and sort of wiggle behind him. Yeah, um, that sounds weird. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good, still going on the internet. Um, did you get an idea? As a picture, it's got a philosopher Roger Scruton's sort of take on on the societal move. Set of rules, I work out how I fit into the dance, 
Nowadays, no, I just express myself on the dance floor. Um, slightly more seriously, and then back, we'll do some discussion. Back to Philip Reef. Um, he talks about therapy, the change in therapy. Now, he's not thinking just um, counselling exactly. Because obviously, again, 150 years ago, no one's going to a therapist or a counsellor. It didn't exist. Um, but the person who helps you, that think that. So again, old world, the world of mimesis, the world where I find where I fit into the puzzle rather than mash the puzzle till it accepts me. If I had a problem, I would go to my therapist. He might be my priest, parent, school teacher, whatever. And I would learn how to live in the world around. And the, the therapist, the helper's job, the counsellor's job, the guide's job, the mentor's job was to help me change in my understanding so I would fit in. Nowadays, very often, you go to your, your therapist or whatever in order to be affirmed, okay? in order to be able to tell your truth and, and be able to express it. And you know, we talk about coming out, don't we, in the realms of sexuality, for example. It's, a, it's about being able to express yourself. Um, Reed's got loads of other interesting examples, but we won't go there now. Um, so let's go, um, let's go around tables. A couple of questions. Can you think of some examples of expressive individualism in action okay, in, the, in the world? <coughs> Uh, and why is it that people get so angry nowadays over discussions of gender and sexuality? And particularly, why would Jesus' preaching on those areas equate to hate speech? That makes sense. Round table. Someone takes kind of initiative. So we should, we'll bring more chairs next week. This is great. Um, but round tables. Let, let's have a crack at those. Okay. Any. Um, uh, let's come back together. Has anyone got any kind of little concrete examples of expressive individualism they came up with? The table liked. I just raised the bar there by saying the table liked them, didn't I? But, um... Tattoos. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. This is me. Individual. Yeah. I wonder if uh, you know it's a much more informal society in terms of um, yeah. not only wear suits anymore. And obviously, you could just say, "Oh, we're just more informal." But it's the nature of formality. Yeah. Is uh, conformity wearing the same thing? And informality is this is what I want to do. And I've, yeah. I've never really thought about it until this morning. But it also struck me when we first came to Leeds, there was a one of the schools that people not work at it was an optional school uniform. Yep. And irony itself. But yeah. again, it's because you know we want our children to think for ourselves, which is just not wrong, but it's a new priority that we would have had many years ago. Yeah, that's a pretty example of it. Like, f- f- um, film of the city is in the city of London, sixty years ago. Film of the city now, like yeah, bowler hats and all the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> I was preaching in Rhodes three weeks ago in uh, big dress. Yeah, uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I am expressing my individualism. Right? <laughs> yeah. no um, although that was part of the point when I asked the guy, why, why, do, why do you wear these robes? So I was in America three weeks ago in a bit black Geneva gown, big puffy sleeves, like some sort of new romantic from some, you know, Flock of Seagulls or something. But um, it's a reference for a very old band. Um, uh, he said, he, you know, he actually, the minister himself was a bit like, I couldn't care less. But the previous minister cared about it because the idea was that the black robe exactly blotted out the individuality of the minister. So you weren't distracted by his nasty dressing, uh, <laughs> his great physique. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, 
Um, yeah, there's all sorts of ways. You look at... Laugh. Um, there's all sorts of ways. You know, you think about art now, you know, modern art, compared to in the past, modern classical music at times. There's all sorts of ways you see it sort of coming out. Um, let, let's press on. Hopefully the second one was awesome for you as well. Um, how do we get here? So what I want to do this week and, and, and next, really, is, is think a little bit about how we got to be where we be. And again, it's... So when, when I went to Oak Hill, the Theological College, I, I went... I think in my first year there was a course called Understanding the Modern World or something. I thought this is going to be great. It's all going to be about... I don't know who'd be in back then, like Coldplay or whatever. Um, and the first lecture was like, right, Aristotle, um, Plato, so like BC... Um, Greek philosopher, was so cross. Um, I thought this is ridiculous. He's not in the real world, blah, blah blah. But actually, the genius of that course was that it explained how we got to where we are today. Um, and I think what, one of one of the potential critiques you could make, maybe, of us as Christians recently is that um, we've been sort of going along. We know there's always a battle between the world and the church, and that's sort of okay. Uh, and then suddenly, in the last 10, 15 years, marriage laws have changed, gender stuff, all the rest of it, and we've blindsided as if this rock has just fallen out of the sky and kind of knocked us out. Whereas, if we perhaps understood a little bit more about what was going on and why culture was like it was, we'd see that some of these more kind of um, extreme examples are actually a relatively logical progression from all that's come before. So the seeds of you feeling uncomfortable at work to admit you're a Christian weren't sown in 2014 when David Cameron brought in same-sex marriage. They were saying, well... Well, when they were, they say, that's what we're going to think about. So number two on the sheets. How do we get here? Stage one, the romantics. Um, crucially, in the history of the West, at least, I'm, I'm always really aware that I'm, you know, I'm speaking to a room full of people from all sorts of different nations, so I'm not presuming this is some sort of worldwide truth, but um, given we're in Leeds, is what's called the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment is the, the age of reason, it would like to call itself. Um, they talk about the long 18th century, so you kind of 1650... Um, to maybe 1800, something like that. You can muck around with the dates. Uh, and again, what I realise is something of a simplification. Before that, the world is clearly, um, or at least, sorry, English, UK, West, is clearly dominated by the church. Okay, so there's Protestant, there's Catholic, there's all sorts of things going on, but there you go. Um, the, the Enlightenment, the big shift was, it was the move to, um, the move to independent thinking. I'm not going to rely on revelation, okay, the reason we think this is because the Bible says it. The reason marriage is like this is because God says it. No, 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 I'm not relying on revelation anymore. I, I need to be able to reason my way to the truth. Now, I might still end up in the same place. That's fine. Um, and early doors, a lot of the guys would have very kind of Christian morality, unsurprisingly. Some of them would call themselves Christians. But the reason, I, it's because it's, it's I've reasoned my way there rather than just revelation has told me. Um, Descartes, famous, I think, therefore I am. Um, he, he was at the kind of he was like the fountainhead, the source almost of, of the um, enlightenment. I think, therefore, I am. Um, start with me. I start. I, I'm going to. I'm going to sort of doubt everything. Who knows what the truth is out there? But I do know I am a thinking being. So I'm going to reason out from my thinking. And it goes down. It, it, this movement divides into two streams. One is a very kind of ran, rationalistic about thinking and the mind, and and we're going to basically ignore that. The other one, which I think is far more powerful or has is, or is won the day, really, in our world, is what's come to be known as romanticism. Romanticism, if rationalism focuses on the mind and thinking and logic, romanticism focuses on feelings and the, the heart desires. 
So don't think romantic in terms of Valentine's Day and flowers and roses. Um, it's about kind of emotions and all the rest of it. Um, as we go through, hopefully it'll become more clear. So one figure, uh, uh, Genevan, called uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Um, he was early 18th century, or mid- mid-18th century, really. He wrote a book called The Confessions. And The Confessions of Rousseau are almost, almost kind of, they're sometimes seen as almost the first autobiography. And I put the quote down there. This is what he said he was trying to do. I'm resolved on an undertaking that, no, that has no model and will have no imitator. I want to show my fellow men a man in all the truth of nature. The particular object of my confessions, this is the book, is to make known my inner self. See that? Exactly as it was in every circumstance of my life. It is the history of my soul. All I need do, as I've done up until now, is to look inside myself. It's really clear there, isn't it, what he's doing. Now, you might read that and think, yeah, all right, that's what all autobiographies do. But they didn't. That's, about, um, that, that's the point. Okay, we now just, yeah, okay, you're going to tell us what you felt at all times of your life. I mean, we get endless autobiographies like that now. Um, to a penny. But that was like a... So it's not... Um, you know, if you read someone writing the biography of um, I don't know, Alfred the Great... It's basically about kind of stuff he did. Battles he won, how he gave a speech to motivate people, you know, where he hid from the Vikings. Blah, blah, blah. Now it's a, it's a pouring out of what's on the inside. And what really matters is, 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 is the internal me. And the internal me is both the real me, the true self, and also the ideal self. It's best to be authentic. Um, Rousseau's... So again, it's been known as celebrating what's called the, the state of nature. So almost kind of the ideal person is unencumbered by society. He hasn't had his edges chopped off him. Another philosopher used the idea of human beings being like a hedge. And the problem is that society could have cut us. You know, and you see people, some people's hedges are beautifully square or shaped into the shape of a nice bird or something like that. We're not meant to be like that. We, that that's the problem with society, putting all these trimmings on us. We're just meant to go where, you know, grow where we like. In fact, Rousseau, in, the, in, that, in that biography, he tells the story of stealing some asparagus um, with his mate. He's got a mate called Vera, or Vera, he's French. Um, and um, Rousseau's talking about, you know, why did I steal this, this asparagus? He says, the reason I stole it is because basically Vera told me to. You steal it and give it to me. And, you know. and, it, and it, it, Rousseau's sort of saying, There's nothing, there was nothing wrong with me in particular. It's not that I was immoral. So if a few hundred years earlier, Augustine wrote a book called The Confessions as well, and he, he, stole, he stole some fruit, and he uses an example of just the corruption of his heart. I didn't gain from it. It was just evil, just took for the sake of taking. And Rousseau's deliberately kind of going up against that story and saying, look, no, it was, it was corruption from the outside that drew me away. In other words, the true kind of, if you like, good life is being authentic, and I'd have been fine, but I'm corrupted by the world around me. Um, society teaches you to suppress your desires, to conform, to fit in. And that, that, is, that is a hugely important theme that grows out of this enlightenment, the romantic strand of the enlightenment. Um, ideally, like nature is ideal because it's not been corrupted. Um, just, just let things be. Let, nature, therefore, is the ultimate kind of example of, of good. Um, so think of some of the poets, so romantic poets, you know, I wandered lonely as a cloud. That's it. Um, that floats high of whatever it is, it veils and hills, can't remember the rest of it. Um, that those kind of great expressions of nature and the beauty of nature. Um, one, one of Wordsworth's less known poems, um, it's called The Idiot Boy. 
Um, I'm not politically correct. But it's a, it's a poem that t- tells a story, and it's a story of a boy who... Um, well, his his mum and his neighbour... His neighbour gets ill, and his mum sends him um, to go get a doctor from the next village, sends him off on a, on a horse. And um, the, the boy is um, just... Like he's, it's hard to work out exactly what words are. Basically, super not bright. Maybe he's got some sort of um, sort of impairments mentally. He's you know, words would call him an idiot boy. Okay, so 18th century language, not not PC and all the rest of it. But um, and basically, the boy goes off, and the doctor never comes. And eventually, they have to go and find the boy, and he's just gazing at the moon and, and listening to the owls. I think it is or something like that, and just just looking at nature. Um, and someone wrote to Wordsworth, so you can't. That's a terrible poem. You know, you can't just. You can't write that about this, this boy. And he wrote back and said, no, 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 you totally missed the point. The point is the boy alone in the story is the one who's living totally free. He's an authentic human being. Okay? He doesn't care what other people think. He doesn't care what his mum and... He's just following his desires. He's holding this idiot boy up uh, as an example to us. Again, stuff around corrupts. And it, you, can, you can sort of see that, can't you? So, um, some outworkings in our society. Um, we, uh, so, I'm going to, Mandy, you can correct me here if I'm, just, if I'm stereotyped, but like C- Confucian society, you venerate your elders. Okay? To be old is to grow in wisdom. Uh, and so, the older people are the wiser people. In our society, like, we want to listen to the youth. That's what really matters. Because the youth haven't been corrupted and sucked into the capitalistic side or whatever it might be but young people matter more we don't really care about old people because they're you know they're old they've become corrupt jaded um, education Carl Truman talks about this um, education in the West increasingly is about freeing the child from the corrupting influence of parents religion society um, and allowing them to I- express themselves um, TV um, we, we like the politician. I think this is Truman again. We like the politician who kind of is a bit gruff and he swears and because he's being authentic in a way that a couple of generations ago, no, that's rude. Um, we like people emoting all over the sort of game show, you know, game shows, whatever they're called, reality TV. People are pouring out the soul, so they're authentic. In other words, it is good to be just natural. And anything that stymies that kind of natural, what comes from within is bad restricting of freedoms just be yourself so that, although that's all those guys are kind of 300 odd years ago they, they are sowing the sea they're the source of the river that flows down to where we are today there's a couple more kind of key steps along the way we'll look at next week but again just 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 round tables um, let's just last five minutes do some discussion again uh, in what ways do we see this sort of romantic idea of human being just be yourself Expressive individualism. Where do we see it in the church? Can you see any ways it's going to the church today? And then have a little read of Psalm 51, verses 1 to 5. How does that romantic view of human beings differ from the Bibles? And what significance might that have for our discipleship? Don't worry too much about the last one. Okay, it's nearly quarter past, so we better come back together. Um, I spent most of, you did most of the time on question one. Any thoughts on that one? How might we see it in the church? So it's easy to look out there in the world and say... Oh. We were talking about church discipline and that being quite an uncomfortable sort of idea. Yeah. People coming to church, they become a customer of that type of idea of church. You come to church with getting what you want. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yep. Totally. So I come to church thinking, how is this going to help me or how, you know, express my faith in a, are they singing the kind of songs that allow me to express what I feel? Um, and I, I don't feel like um, a psalm of lament, so don't really like this, or I don't feel like this set prayer. So rather than coming thinking, how can I serve my brothers and sisters? Okay, what's my duty to, to them and to, and to God? Surely what God actually wants is me to come and express myself. That must be what he wants, because that's the thing that we're all meant to be doing, isn't it? All the time. How I feel ought to be poured out in the service. Yeah. No. Um, other stuff? Any other ideas on that one? Just quite interested. Okay. Okay. Interesting. It turns into worship stuff. Yeah. And yeah. um, other things you think about discipleship or anything like that. I mean, on the, on the second thing that you probably didn't get to Psalm fifty one. It's David's psalm of confession, isn't it? Um, against you, you only by sinned. And then, um, behold, I was, brought, I was brought forth, as in, came into this world in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. The idea that you are born with, sometimes been called original sin, that you are corrupt right from the womb. Not because, so you're not born sinless. I'm totally good. I'm fine. Or at least neutral. And then if I do something wrong, I become a sinner. No, you're born sinful and therefore you sin. That is the exact opposite of what Rousseau and Co are saying. Um, for them, the state of nature is pristine and unblemished. And if only we, you know, if only we could all just live like that. For the Bible, no. The, the way we come into the world, ever well, since Adam, Adam was like that. But ever since then, we come in already bent towards evil and away from God. And therefore, discipleship is going to be about exactly about dealing with my desires. So often, you people, you, you know, people feel say, "Well, you know, what matters is what we do." My, my desires—they're just kind of part of who I am, like my my hair colour or my eye colour or my my height or my gender. You know, they're just they're just things I have. But the whole point: no, no, our desires are the problem. For a start, the desires are why you do the things. But chopping off the thing and not and, and not trying to deal with the desires is not is not going deep enough. Now, all our desires are corrupt. Don't don't mishear me. And thank God we are forgiven for our corrupt desires. So you might desire, and you will—not that you might—you do desire. All sorts of things you should not desire. Some of you might feel that very strongly, particularly in the realms of sexuality. And oh no, is this particularly awful? And, but the whole point is, we all, all our desires are wrong. That's that's the problem. We said not not just our actions, but grace goes deep enough, both to forgive those desires and over time, God wants to change them too. So discipleship is going to be about not expressing myself, but seeing what God wants me to desire, um, and and working at the level of desire, not just not just action. Let me pray. We'll head next door. Father in heaven, um, uh, we need your mercy. Uh, we want to pray with David. Uh, have mercy on us according to your steadfast love. Uh, blot out our transgressions. Cleanse us, uh, creating us a new heart, new desires. Renew a right spirit within us. And thank you that your mercy um, was vouchsafed to us, guaranteed to us at the cross. And so in Jesus' blood, we come before you in confidence. Amen.